the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Whether you're a veteran voice actor, just starting out, or don't even know how to set a level, we're here to help you avoid the pitfalls along your voiceover path to success. The VO Meter is brought to you by Voice Actor Websites, Voice123, Studio Bricks, Global Voice Acting Academy, JMC Demos, and Sennheiser. The Video Meter is produced in part using Source Connect, made by source-elements.com. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 90 of the Video Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. Holy crap, 90 episodes? When did that happen? <laughs> I know, it sort of snuck up on us over six years. <laughs> I know. Got to be that uh, our infrequent posting schedule. But <laughs> but that's awesome. So thank you guys for listening to us and encouraging us to go on for so long. It's It's been a real treat. Yeah, as we come up to the end of 2022, uh, hopefully we'll celebrate the milestone uh, while we will, unless uh, you just don't feel like doing it anymore. And feel free to tell me that anytime. We'll, we'll cross over 100 episodes pretty soon. It's all right. You can probably tell if I've checked out by or not, Paul. Or not. Who cares? Whatever. Indeed. We won't die. We'll just become a zombie. <laughs> but in actuality, we have a pretty cool episode because we're going to talk to a woman who owns a company that I've talked about quite a lot over the years. It's Tina Dietz, who is the founder and CEO of Twin Flame Studios, a company with which I work and have worked for the last almost four years. And we get to hear her insights on how the company helps thought leaders change the business world and the lives of the people they work with. Yeah, I'm stoked. I mean, I've like obviously I've, I've heard about uh, Twin Flames through you and I've interacted with them a lot because they send me auditions every now and then. So uh, it, I was really looking forward to actually getting to meet uh, Tina in person, quotation fingers. Yeah, and you'll hear that interview coming up right after our... VoiceOver Extra brings you the VO Meter Reference Levels. Uh, seriously, guys, that's the best you could come up with? Hey, it's your show. So, Sean, what's been happening in your VO world? <laughs> Ooh, nice segue, by the way. Uh, lots of stuff. So, I just actually, um, sort of on the, the voice acting education front, uh, I just wrapped up an intro to U.S. accents class for Lakewood Institute of Theater. So, it was really fun. We uh, I kind of did a very, like, rudimentary explanation of or like sort of the linguistic behind creating different accents and we we talked about the general american accent uh focused on the california one in our early classes because it's kind of similar to the pacific northwest neutral accent and then we took it to um we did varieties of the southern accent new york uh, boston and then for our final class i kind of gave students the opportunity to be the instructor and either review an accent we had already covered or try their hands at a different one. So I, I was just really impressed with, I mean, and this was a, a varied group. So the youngest kids were like 12 and there's also like seniors in the class too. So wide range of, of, uh, of ability and, and experience, but everyone said they, uh, the, the feedback was very positive. A lot of people said they had a blast and they were just fascinated to kind of look at the American accent in, in all of its varieties and just be like, wow, we have a lot of different accents in this country. Yeah. I saw this, uh, this meme this morning. I think it was in Nick Redmond's Facebook group where even though what you just said is true, 
there it said you in America you drive four hours and nothing's changed. In Britain, you've gone through four different accents and they call bread something different. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. It's just like you drive four miles and you've got four different accents. Yeah. It's just like, um, yeah, it's not quite as, and actually an interesting thing that I learned um, while I was preparing for the class is, well, like generally, I mean, accents aren't really created through like, or aren't limited by political borders, for example. Like it's not like oh, no, clearly not defined. Yeah, yeah, not not defined by state, not defined by country even. It's more about settlement patterns and migration patterns and stuff like that and ethnicity influences. But one thing about the New York accent that I found was interesting is like there's no such thing as say like a borough specific accent, like a Brooklyn accent or a Bronx accent, right? Like there's um there are varieties of New York accents that people in these areas have, but there's no like clear Brooklyn, Bronx, and stuff like that. So hopefully none of my New York friends will hate me for saying that. But yeah, it's bet. been proven by science. I bet the people that live there would beg to differ. <laughs> I'm sure they would, but it's all right. I'm on the, I'm safe on the West Coast. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Um, we had a great animation acting ensemble workout for GVAA. That's something that um, one of our coaches, Katie Lee, and I put together, where it's basically like a simulated table read. Right, you get to work with your fellow actors. You get to interact and react in real time, and I find that it really helps people kind of get a sense of the momentum and flow, uh, like the back and forth of these conversational scripts, right? And uh, and Katie's just wonderful. I mean, she's been doing cartoons since I was a kid, um, and, and like she's in some of my favorite ones, like Darkwing Duck, Muppet Babies. Let's see, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. She was Sal, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Sally the Thief. But but yeah, it's this crazy kind of collaborating with someone that I've been listening to for almost forty years. Yeah, that's great. And then actual VO stuff. <laughs> I've just been doing a number of e-learning projects this week. Did some fun commercials uh, for one of my international clients. One of them, I actually got to do an action figure commercial. I, if oh, you guys cool. know me, I freaking love action figures i'm an adult collector and um it was just so fun to finally do the like superposable articulation and all that stuff that's cool did you get really animated totally totally i actually sent um my my fiance the audio for that she's like you're talking really fast and like expressively i was like trust me that's the style and then i showed her the reference she's like oh you nailed it (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome so yeah, uh, so that's pretty much it for me. What about you, Paul? I am uh, firmly back in the audiobook world, which is not to say I ever left completely, but I had gotten sidetracked by all the fall sports announcing I was doing. But all audiobooks all the time. The last couple of weeks, I finished recording one of my own, and it was sent off to be published on Audible today. It's called Nosy Neighbors by Nina Schluns, and it's a mystery about uh, about nosy neighbors. And um, <laughs> how these uh, two young men that move into the neighborhood are affected by it and the shenanigans that ensue. But um, like I said, it's more of a thriller. So look for that coming out maybe before the end of the year, but uh, more likely just after the new year uh, in 2023. Again, Nosy Neighbors by Nina Schloons. And she actually hired me for a sequel. So, or a, a, another book by her, not exactly a sequel, but the same genre. So I'm excited to be working on that. And then I've produced quite a few books for Twin Flame Studios. We'll be talking about who, uh, about which we'll be talking with the owner in a few minutes. 
but I, I have wrapped production on Unstuck, The Physics of Getting Out of Your Way by Jennifer Huff, as well as The Extraordinary Unordinary You by Simone Canego. And then principal recording is done on The Innovation Mindset by Jennifer Kenny, and we'll be editing that and getting it, uh, getting the pickups done in the next couple of weeks, probably just before the end of the year. That's my hope anyway. And Jennifer was an interesting story because she's in Ireland and <laughs> recorded the entire thing remotely across the ocean, nary a hiccup or a stoppage, a few every now and then, it always happens, but really no different than I, if I was recording with somebody in New York or Seattle, as it were, and uh, came off without a hitch, so that went really well too. Did she enjoy listening to her broke? <laughs> her accent is interesting because she's she has lived in California for the last several decades, so it's kind of gone away. I did I did ask when we started that. She, she's there um, visiting family, and I said, "Is your accent coming back? Is that going to be a problem?" She said, "Oh yeah, it's it's definitely definitely stronger when I'm back home." Yeah, we hear that o- over and over again. And actually, Paul, I was thinking because uh, this like our conversation with Tina and just like I just noticed. <laughs> Hold on a second. I sucked down some water in my throat. Oh no! <coughs> I was trying to do it quietly without making any noise. That backfired. <coughs> oh no! I hate when that happens. Uh, just let me know when you're ready. Yeah, I got taking some air to dry it out. Okay, go ahead. So if you don't mind, Paul, I've been thinking about just a lot of the work you or the audiobook work you do, both independently as a narrator and production through Twin Flames. I'm just curious, it, like, is there a pattern to the the titles you do, or is it just like a really diverse dias- or um, variety of, of topics? I guess the pattern for the most part is nonfiction books on either business or, or leadership. That seems to be the pattern. It's not that I, I'm exclusive to that. But uh, most of the people I worked with are first-time narrators or second-time narrators, and they're not generally taking on large, epic, multicast voice pieces or multi-character or multi-voice pieces. They're mostly doing their own work written in the first person. So mm-hmm. I guess if there's any pattern, that would be it. It doesn't. It's not to say that can only be the case. I have done a couple of books with multiple narrators locally, including... Um, the, the pastor of my church and his assistant, where I recorded both of them independently and had to match their voices. But again, it was nonfiction. So mm. I don't know if I could if I could pull it off with many, many different characters. Although, as you'll hear about in the interview with Tina, with Twin Flames, we have done a production where we've had more than 10 voices on it and mix it together. So it can be done. But what was your concern or what were you really curious about? No, no, I was just curious. I mean, like, we, we all strive for like different areas and in different genres and stuff like that i was just curious if like what kind of stuff you like to do and what kind of stuff do you see on your desk the most often okay i think locally the the pattern comes from my personal contacts because almost all the books i've done locally have come from personal referrals from people i've met over the years and me being in different businesses over the last 22 years has helped a lot because i've touched a lot of industries and still have those contacts so most of the books is it most yeah every one of the books that I've done locally has either come from a referral or is somebody I actually know already and they said, hey, I just wrote a book and you help me. Awesome. Awesome. We were just talking about, like, I was leading a, a workout for GVA this morning and people, like, the marketing question comes up and I was just like, yeah, some of my longest, like, best clients were from referrals, from meeting people at, like, events like Vio Atlanta or just, like, at regular meet and greets, you know? Yeah, I think that's always the case in, in almost any business where you're responsible for sourcing your own business, 
they they will tell you that the sales trainers and people that are leaders in that business will tell you your, your best business is from referrals. They're, they're they're worth their weight in gold. Definitely. And, and like we were saying, it can be very helpful to either do something like, say, an industry conference or, or even a training workshop, right? It, it, there, there's just something much more palpable, and it's so much easier to make like a lasting impression on someone in person, I think. I mean, my first voiceover client was like, I, I was a fellow teacher when I was in Japan, and I was like, I wasn't even like an official voice talent yet. I was still training. I was still, I didn't have demos made or anything, but I was confident enough that I was like, hi, I'm a voice talent. And they were like, really? I need a voice talent. And then we worked together for like seven years. Mm -hmm. That's great. It doesn't have to be in person, though. I, I've referred much business to people I've never met in person, just over That's true. Facebook um, groups or, or Zoom, especially over the pandemic when we had a lot of online conferences. There's plenty of people I've referred business to who I've never met in person. Excellent. And, and I think it, like, kind of to, um, to edit that point a little bit, like... I think it's easier to, to give an impression in person just because, I mean, you can be more relaxed and, and people might have a positive association with you. But it's if you put yourself out there, like if you're like if you showcase your personality or if you're really resourceful or very helpful, then people will remember that. Right. So maybe you're not maybe you're an introvert like me and you don't want to go out to all these social events. You don't have to. But you could still like pay attention to people, ask questions. And again, be helpful or interesting or funny and people will remember you for those things too and those referrals will come around or you might be snarky and uh full of piss and vinegar most of the time <laughs> that could be memorable too yeah i still don't know if he's serious half the time <laughs> so that wraps up our vo meter reference levels it's now time for questionable gear purchase so I have a couple of non-questionable gear purchases I will talk about in a second. Do you have anything you want to address first? Uh, sure. Um, so a couple of things. Like like you, well, you said before, I had picked up a new USB mic, the Rode VideoMic NTG. And I, I like it overall. Um, I, it's super directional. Uh, we were experimenting at that workout earlier. I was trying to explain polar patterns and super cardioid versus that. And everyone's like, wow, the sound drops off so much when you turn the mic away from you and, and stuff like that. Um, and then, so, so I, like, I like that we have an, a portable, affordable shotgun mic that I can use for web conferencing or travel. But I'm still having some, there are some things about it that I'm less a fan of. For example, you've got this great gain control on the back for when you're plugged into a phone or a camera, for example. But when you turn, when you plug that into, um, into a USB port, like if you use it as a USB mic, that goes from being your mic gain volume to your headphone gain volume. And I really would have preferred the other way around. <laughs> like, because you have to actually adjust your input volume in your preferences, in your audio preferences. And you guys know that this was sort of my replacement for my Apogee mic. And while I wasn't a huge fan of that, I liked that you had a tactile button that you could adjust or a tactile dial that you could adjust the volume for. And right now, the uh, I'm, I'm on the 416 right now, but maybe next time I'll use the, the Rode. But it's very hot. It's a very hot mic. Like I have to have the, the 20 dB pad on the lowest setting. Really? Or like the lowest gain setting just so I'm not peaking that when sounds, I get excited. That sounds messed up. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I got to do some more troubleshooting. Maybe it has to do with my other issue that I've been having lately. And, and that's been kind of navigating the limited ports on my MacBook Air. Uh, my Mac Mini is still at my last house, so I haven't transferred that over here. So I've been trying to experiment with adapters and dongles and things like that. And it's been mixed Mix, a mixed bag. <laughs> like, uh, sometimes it just works, and then sometimes I get strange issues with my peripherals. Like, just a reminder not to plug an interface into a hub to if you can help it, because you might have some weird uh, behavior. Like, I, I've been plugging in the port caster into a couple of different hubs, and I have this really weird problem where it like hijacked my headphone output. And like it, it, it could, it almost blew out my ears because it just, it raised it to a painfully loud vo volume and then I couldn't physically adjust anything. Like I was just like riding the, the, the pot up and down and it was making no change. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, Stephen Coghill, who has recently joined us on staff at Twin Flame Studios as well, uh, found an issue with the new MacBook Airs that because they only have that one USB-C port, it's it's not powerful enough for a lot of the interfaces and mics that we have been recommending to people. So they were trying really? to power they were trying to power an MV1, the the Shore mic, and that port did not have enough juice from the computer to power it. So watch out for that too. The MacBook Airs seem to be incapable of powering a lot of audio equipment that a lot of us are probably That is using. really interesting. And speaking of power too, sometimes I get better results like if the laptop is plugged in, for example, or if or if I'm using a powered hub, right? Oh, I think that makes um, a difference, yeah. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm um and, and so that but but like I said, sometimes you get this strange behavior. I have noticed like if you go with something a little bit more premium, like kind of in the we'll say like the 50 to 100 dollar range, um, like OWC has some great options. I'm currently using their travel dock. I really enjoy that. It's like fifty, sixty dollars. Um, and then uh, so that didn't have any issues really. But then if you just like this twenty dollar dongle I got from like my Fred Meyer tech department, like did not <laughs> um, was having some strange behavior with it, right? So when it comes to these peripherals, audio peripherals, ideally connect directly to your device. Don't go through a dock or a hub, even if you're eating up one of those valuable ports. And that's another thing I noticed too, is that like, if you don't get a premium dock or hub, you could damage your computer, right? Like I've heard, especially if it offers something called power delivery or PD, usually it's a USB or Thunderbolt port on the hub. And then you sort of, instead of plugging your charger into your laptop, you plug it into the hub and then the hub into the laptop and it charges it that way. So, like I said before, had that weird audio output issue, but on top of that, like it, my port seems a little less reliable now, the, the power port. So, I don't know. I don't know if that's kind of just the shelf life of these uh, MacBook Airs, like maybe just something we haven't seen yet because they're so new. Uh, they only came out two years ago. Or maybe it's just like more likely the third party issue. And, and that's why it's just really important because you can find these things everywhere on Amazon for $10, for 20, for however much. But I really encourage you to research some of the more well-known brands like OWC or um, Kensington or CalDigit. And, and just to make sure that you, you might be spending $100 on a dongle, but it's better than your $1,200 laptop dying because you went cheap, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 
the whole concept bothers me of, of downsizing the ports. Uh, you know, as someone who's always used a ton of peripherals, I hate that they're they're diminishing them down more and more, both on computers and phones and tablets. And it seems like it's causing more trouble than it's worth, except for their bottom line. Exactly, exactly. I mean, like, Apple doesn't care if you have to buy something new every couple of years. But it's, and it's so funny, they kind of painted themselves into a corner. Like, I don't mind if you're like, we have one device that's focused on portability and light, or lightweight, small, thin, whatever. But if you try to do that across the board, like you said, you get a lot of angry professionals, like especially when they remove some of the older ports from the MacBook Pro, like like the 2016 through the 2019 models, I think it was. And then now it reintroducing the SD card slot and the HDMI port and, and stuff like that too. Yay, they gave us back this, like the de facto. <laughs> That's why I still have a 2015 MacBook Pro. Nice, nice. That was one of the last models that I used as well uh, from, from Intel. Yeah, I think it's uh, just like a tank. It has all the ports I need. Perfect. Excellent, excellent. So other than that, I just bought some weird random pieces of gear as well. I'm experimenting with having a stereo bar, a stereo mic bar on my boom arm. One, because it's the blue compass, so it's like super strong, and I'm just trying to like find ways to add weight to it. Yeah, you could but hang also, a small toddler from there too. Pretty much. It's ridiculous. I'm amazed that I found something that works for <laughs> Uh, for what I have. Um, I actually had to buy a new shock mount because my um, the road one with the liars, like it actually broke. Oh, yeah. um, not the one that came with the NTG. This was uh, but um, my, my previous one. It was like the the road 428s or something like that. Um, the the Rycote slash road shock. Yeah, I was gonna mount. say, isn't it Rycote sourced and they just put their name on it? Exactly. Um, and then. Yeah, so so was that one. Uh, and so anyways, one of those liars broke, and I tried to get a replacement or even just use the ones on the road, but it's like it required a, like a proprietary hex key or something like that. Anyways, it was way more trouble than it was worth. So I went to my local guitar center, which is only like 10 minutes from my house, which is could be a good or a bad thing. Uh, and anyways, I picked up a shock mount I've used before, actually, called the Sabra Somme. And it's it's sort of a universal one. It's it's one of the few universal shock mounts uh, out there that you can actually use with small or large diaphragm condensers, right? You can use it horizontally or vertically, and uh, it works really really well. Like it's cool that I have something that could work with a U87 or my 416, right? Yeah, that um, is unique. And then, uh, so got that, got the, the stereo bar, and then I just got, I was running low on my, my quick release connectors, right? Those things that make it really easy to swap out mics uh, on a stand or a boom. So I picked up one more of those, and I think I'm, I think I'm set on gear for a little bit. <laughs> Until well, I buy my next computer. Never a dull moment. Indeed. So what about you? Tell us about your sensible gear purchases. Well, uh, full disclosure, I didn't purchase anything, but Lewitt, the audio company, sent me a couple of pieces of gear to try out. One is the Connect 6 audio interface, and then also a LCT 440 Pure uh, large diaphragm condenser microphone. So I'm using both of those right now. You're hearing me on the 440 and through the Connect 6, and I've been using them the whole episode. Uh, not for the interview portion that is upcoming, full disclosure, that was done on my other studio equipment, but... For all the pre-show, the questionable gear purchases, and VO meter reference levels, you're hearing the 440 and the Connect 6. 
Now let's talk about some of the, the features. The Connect 6 has two studio-grade preamps for microphones or instruments, a stereo aux input, one mobile in or out, uh, one power in, one stereo speaker output, two balanced jack outputs for monitors, and two independent headphone outputs. Then it also has three software channels for routing audio, one loopback channel for capturing system audio, which is actually how I'm recording Sean right now, uh, one mobile output for sending audio to your smartphone or tablet, and two independent mixes that you can use to send to any of the outputs. So it's very flexible. It also has some processing. So it has phantom, independent phantom power on both channels, which is not always the case. The AGO6 that I use most of the time in my studio does not have independent phantom power. It only has it on one. Two independent mute switches. has two independent high-pass filters. I'm not using the high-pass filter net, uh, right now, but now I will. And now we're being high-pass filtered. Is that a, is that a, <laughs> is that a phrase? We're, we're being high-passed? We're being, yes, filtered high-passingly. Um, it also has some live effects that you can apply, like an equalizer. It also has a compressor and a expander, which I thought was really cool because I've messed around with expansion live before with outboard gear. And also I've tried it with some, some onboard processing through the Apollo series from Universal Audio. But uh, I was excited to try this out, so I'm actually going to turn this on now. Um, no, sorry, it's the equalizer. I will not change anything here. I'm going to turn on the expander. And the cool thing about the expander is that if you're actually talking live, it has the spectrograph that will show you where your signal is. And you can just take this slider bar and move it to where your peaks are, and it will automatically set that level to, or show you the level of where the expansion's starter, starter end. So if I take it to where I was peaking before, and it starts off with a default threshold and ratio and attack and release, but um, you probably won't hear anything different because the, the booth is pretty solid to begin with, but it is approaching rush hour here on the East Coast. So this is why I've always had the most issues with, with rumbling and highway noise. So maybe this will help. And listeners tell us if you heard a difference between I turn on the expander or not. So that's running right now. Uh, again, we have an equalizer. So let me pull that up, see if there's anything I can mess around with in there. So I can adjust things like boost the, boost the mids up to about a 200 and see if that changes things. Bring down the, bring down the low or bring up the low a little bit. And any change in my voice when I make these adjustments? Hi, it's now Paul. Oh, I'm a little bit louder, I can see. A little more mm -hmm. gain coming out now with the, the low end taken out. But yeah, you can mess around with that if you want to. And then there's a compressor, which, uh, well, let's mess around with it. What the heck? Let's uh, do a quick, turn the ratio a bit. Slightly longer attack and longer release, and that should make it sound way more radio-like. Do you hear it? Hi. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, coming at you. Top 40. <laughs> so aggressive. Come join us at our super delicious holiday ball coming up by Mix Blah Blah Blah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I was going to say something like Blah Blah Blah. <laughs> yeah, Blah Blah Blah, yeah. All right, so let me turn all this off. And yeah, so, so far I'm, I've been impressed with this thing. I, I've been looking for, I'm always looking for ways to record incoming audio because that's what we do here. We record a podcast. So anything that helps me do that and makes things easier, I'm a fan of. I do like the sound. I have compared it to the AGO6, and they sound kind of the same to me, which is a good thing. I don't, I don't like when interfaces have their own coloration. So it's very, very clean, very pure, much like the microphone we'll talk about in a second. And I love the flexibility. So thank you, Lewitt, to have to, for sending this out for me to try. Oh, I also took it on a portable job. 
well, not job. I, I recorded my daughter's holiday concert last night, but I took my MacBook Pro I was just talking about and the Connect 6. Never tried this before. I just threw it in a bag and brought a bunch of cables with me. And I asked the band director if he wanted me to record. And he said, sure. They always take free volunteer help. So right on the spot for the first time without any instructions or or um, tutorials, I was able to get the Connect 6 up and running on the road in a high school auditorium and recorded the concert. So it's very portable as well. Barely even knew it was there. That's awesome. Very cool. I was um, I was watching some materials uh, about it before we, we met today to, to prep for the episode, and I remember Podcastage talking about it. So correct me if I'm wrong, it's it's about a $300 unit, right? Like $299? Uh, $299 on their website right now, yes. And, and yeah, and, and uh, re- regarding the preamp quality, I think it's right in there with like that the, the $150 to $300 units. And of course, the extra cost is, like you said, because of those additional features like the, and what was really like the DSP, the digital signal processing. And what I love is that just the level of flexibility that you have, because unlike certain other units in that price range, you can't you can adjust the pro, the presets, right? Like they're not set templates that you can't touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was very cool. And for someone who likes to use DSP, um, who wants to have that flexibility over it and not be a slave to the prescribed templates, this could be an option for you. Yeah, on the on the the note of those preamps, I forgot to mention they have up to seventy two dB of gain. Damn! So they can they can power <laughs> a rocket ship if, if you want. To. <laughs> That's insane! I remember. It, I don't know what's happened. What what sort of new technology has come out in the last couple of years? But I remember like companies like Focusrite like sitting around fifty eight to like I remember when sixty dB yeah. was like an accomplishment, right? Like around the second or third gen when they kinda got in the upper fifties or low sixties. But now you've got all these units that are capable of driving seventy DB or more. It's insane. Yeah, so for our listeners who don't even know what the heck we're talking about, um certain mics require more gain to power. Your your general large diaphragm condenser only needs about what, forty DB, maybe fifty. But some of the dynamics, especially for the podcast realm that people like to use, like the Shure SM7B or the RE20 or the PR40, they need a ton of gain. And the, the Shure SM7B probably needs every bit of 70 to, to sound good. So to have a, a interface in this price range that can power that is pretty cool. Yeah, it used to be like when we started the podcast and, and like a lot of people were using a third or like an analog preamp in order to get enough gain to power mics like the uh, um, like the Shure SM7 or, or other dynamic mics, or they might be using an inline amplifier like the Triton Fethead or the Cloudlifter, uh, for example. So now, like, I mean, interfaces have just got better and better, not only from a sound quality perspective, but like the level of clean gain they can provide. You don't have to spend 500 or $1,000 just to get those dB levels anymore. Right. So that's the interface. Let's talk a little bit about the microphone. So again, I'm using the LCT 440 Pure by Lewitt. This is a uh, condenser, pressure gradient condenser. It's got a frequency range of 20 to 20,000 hertz, sensitivity of 27.4 to negative 31.2, a self noise of 7 dB, and a max SPL sound pressure level of 140 decibels. Signal to noise ratio of 87 dB, dynamic range. So you can record that rocket and not peak from it. Yep. <laughs> and what I like about it is it's really compact. Like it's only 
138 by 52 millimeters. It's smaller than most other large diaphragm condensers I've used before, and uh, but it still sounds great. And so far, what I'm hearing, I've tested it a couple times and, and listened to it compared to some of the other mics I have here. It seems very clear and very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Cl transparent? Yes, transparent. Thank you. I was looking for something with uh, sterile. Sterile is what I was looking for, but, yes. not, but not in a bad way, if that makes sense. Like, it's just, it just sort of captures what's there. It's a very neutral sound. Neutral. And... That's another good one. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you're, like, you're like a walking thesaurus. Indeed. Not the first time I've been called that. But um, anyways, like, and, and those of you who might, uh, who've been listening to us for a while, you might remember I did a review on the, the Lewitt uh, several years ago on my YouTube channel and actually pairing it against the 416. And it, for, for a mic that's like a third of the cost, it does really well. Um, very different characteristics, like not as not as forward aggressive as the 416, but like very competent and very usable for a lot of people. Honestly, it's one of my all-time favorite uh, affordable mics. Um, yeah, I was gonna say think, out of out of the box without doing anything to it, it's probably the 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 best sound I've heard from any microphone without any touching high-pass filters placement all i did was just stick it on a stand it's not even mounted to the arm in the booth it's on an upright um pedestal stand sitting next to my normal mic and i didn't do anything else to it and it sounds great yeah and honestly it's like i mean we do this all the time but it's like it's like paul's in the room with me right now you know <laughs> it's just like it just sounds so natural yeah so uh what else about the mic it comes with a great shock mount comes with cables comes with a foam windscreen that fits over the head um as a, it'll work as a pop filter, and it's got the logo on it, so that's pretty cool. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed so far. Yeah, I think I think it's a perfect first mic for a lot of people, and it might be the only mic you ever need, to be honest. Yeah, I could see recommending this um, to even clients that I work with. When I have to set, sometimes when I'm working with a remote client for audiobook engineering, we'll we'll either send them a mic if they want to pay us for it to do it, or we'll say, buy this mic. And I think this might go on the list of recommendations because it's just so simple. It, it's almost, it seems like it's almost impossible to screw up. No, I mean, it's great. It's very idiot proof. I actually got exposed to it because one of our GVA members was had saved up their money for their first condenser mic. And I, I gave them a few options and I told them, I was like, I haven't used this mic, but I'm very, I'm intrigued and confident about it. She's like, well, would you, would, I'll give you the money. Would you test it out for me? I was like, Okay, so I mean, of course, I, I sent it to her when I was done testing it, but I was again, I was just really impressed for the price. You've got an excellent um, shock mount. the The pop filter, though it attaches right onto it magnetically, is actually pretty good as well, uh, considering how closely it is it's positioned over the grill. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a great way. Like again, you're already at pretty affordable for the quality at two sixty nine. But you also get a very nice shock mount, a very nice pop filter, and like Paul said, you just need to put it on a stand and connect it to your interface, and you're off to the races. I forgot to mention it has a, a cardioid pattern only, which is fine for most people. Um, but it also is 289 right now, at least on their website. And that's right in that sweet spot of the Audio-Technica 3035 or 2035, the... Um, Sennheiser MK4, the Rode NT1, all, all in that sweet spot of about $300 where I think you said too that once you get to that range, it's kind of hard to go wrong. And this is just another instance of that being the case. 
Yeah, at that point, you're really just looking for like sonic characteristics that you like, right? Like, for example, the like the Lewitt is just exceptionally clear and transparent. You put in what you put out. Like, for example, the Rode NT1 and the SE2200 might have a little character to them as well. But you can't really go wrong, and and I was really happy to hear that you had um, that Lewitt had sent that to you, just because I have such a fondness for this mic. I did want to say, as Paul mentioned, this is the pure model. It's their slim down model. It doesn't have any switches or any or adjustments that you can do. Um, but they, like Lewitt loves their tech, so if you want some of those features, you can use look at their 550, uh, their 940, or their 1040. Uh, models and they just keep on adding more and more features the 1040 is ridiculous because it's like let's see it's got a power supply because it actually is both a FET and a tube so you can kind of play in between those um and, and get the exact I think it's 940 or maybe they reintroduced it it says 940 on the website okay they should have both uh i, I do believe i think jordan reynolds did a um uh, or did a review of their most recent one. Oh, okay so yeah, so basically, depending on what level of sophistication and how much you want to spend, there's a Lewitt model with your name on it. So that wraps up questionable gear purchases. We will get to our interview with Tina Dietz right after a word from these sponsors. Walgreens, because it's flu season, and you live in a place with doorknobs and handrails and, you know, people. We tried booking a vacation rental on one of those other websites. They don't always tell you everything. The stars take it to the red carpet. We are back live from the red carpet. California leads the way for change in America, and so does Kamala Harris. Rated M for Mature. Claire Redfield. And who exactly are you? So, yeah, what hashtag should I use to describe a grown man in a tuxedo wrestling a goat? And prior to 1933, many of them belonged to a variety of political parties that were now outlawed in Germany. This is the story of how Q got curly. Quinn was crazy about curls. Curly fries, curly straws, curly-haired dogs. Hey, Jay Michael here. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter podcast. It's one of my favorites. If you're looking for a great demo like the ones you just heard, check out jmcdemos.com for more information. Hey, Paul, did you know Voice123, the largest online marketplace for voice actors, just celebrated its 20th year anniversary? Whoa, really? That's amazing. Doesn't really surprise me, though. I've used Voice123 since the beginning of my career. I remember way back in my first year where I booked a job as a hypnotist. I actually got to say, you are getting very sleepy on a radio ad. The whole thing was super easy. They even paid me right away for the audition and said that was all they needed. I've been a member of Voice123 for years as well. I've always enjoyed their upfront policies, ability to contact clients directly, and their commitment to the voiceover industry. Totally. CEO Rolf Veldman has appeared on the show before, and in every interaction I've had with him and the company, I felt a sense of trust, like they really care. Well, if you want a great place to find your VO niche and find yourself as a voice actor, visit voice123.com for more information. Now, VO Meter listeners can also get 15% off premium tier memberships. For more information, visit our website and click on the Click Here to Save 15% banner on our sponsors page. Voice123, speak for yourself. How many times has this happened to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on. Not unlike this one. And this guy starts talking. Not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking. Not unlike myself. And you think to yourself, geez, 
I could do that. Well, mister, well, missy, you just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. All the tools and straight-from-the-hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. Well, not this one exactly. Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate and negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will too when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at globalvoiceacademy.com. Because you like to have fun. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the interview portion of this episode. Our guest today is Tina Dietz. She's an award-winning and internationally acclaimed speaker, audiobook publisher, corporate podcast producer, and vocal leadership expert who has been featured on media outlets including ABC, Inc.com, Huffington Post, and Forbes. Tina's first podcast, The Start Something Show, was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 35 podcasts for entrepreneurs. And Tina's company, Twin Flame Studios, amplifies the influence of brands and leaders through high ROI audiobook and podcasting solutions. So ladies and gents, please join me in welcoming Tina Dietz. How are you doing, Tina? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Tina, thanks so much for being here. Our listeners know I've actually talked about you and the company quite a bit, probably every episode for the last three years at this point, because you and I met almost four years ago by virtue of a random Facebook post where you were asking for someone who had experience recording a remote author. And I said, I was having this exact same idea at basically the exact same time, and I think I can do it. And uh, (laughs) we did. Turns out we did. Yeah, we produced a fantastic audio book, and now we produced, what, about 120? 50 more since then so wow. at least yeah it's been uh we've got 95 just this year alone so i've appreciated every year. every year and every minute we've worked together and i appreciate you being here on the show today thanks for coming oh i appreciate you too paul you're the uh inspiration and catalyst for getting some of this all this crap done so <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the catalyst for a lot of things that happen around these parts too <laughs> so, yes so tell us tina we mentioned it a little bit in your in or in the intro but what kinds of clients do you work with and who can benefit from working with Twin Flame Studios? Well, we work exclusively with nonfiction. So our clientele are people who identify as leaders or thought leaders. They're executives, they're founders. A lot of them are business owners of some kind or another, consultants, coaches, speakers, people who are really looking to get their message out to the world, leave it a better place than where they found it. And they're building a platform to do that with. So they are out there speaking or coaching or uh, putting together materials and certainly writing a book falls into that category. So we take that ball and turn it into audio and run with it, both from the audiobook standpoint, as well as podcasts, and then all of the marketing materials that go with those types of audio assets. So we've talked a lot about the kinds of clients that can benefit from the services that Twin Flames offers. But I'm curious from your standpoint, what should someone ask themselves if they're looking to either start a podcast internally or externally? determine if they want to record an audiobook, and then decide whether they want to have a professional narrator, like myself or Sean narrate it, Mm -hmm. or do it themselves, which is a specialty service we offer as well at Twin Flame Studios. So what kinds of questions should someone ask themselves when they're looking to get into one of these trends? Yeah, and I think you and I, Paul, 
went through a lot of phases of developing the types of questions we now ask folks when they come to us because of not asking those questions and then finding out after the fact, oh, we should have asked that. You know, <laughs> yeah, a bit, a, bit of, a bit of a trial and error to get to this point, yeah. Yeah, it, it always is. It always is in business. But what I think we, what we've come to is... In, in the realm of narrating your own audiobook, that's certainly a different workflow than a podcast. Podcast is a, you know, regular episodic, like, you know, we're doing right now, and certainly takes a certain amount of time commitment, but there is more flexibility on the production setup and the types of post-production that you do on it. And it's just a different flow, whereas a audiobook is condensed and a a significant time commitment for somebody to do the narration. It is a more intensive audio setup and it is certainly a more, a bigger time commitment in a, in a condensed amount of time. So we've come to the point where we ask our authors or prospective authors, what's the best use of their time to meet their goals. We also have to look at their vocal quality and their vocal stamina. Somebody who's a keynote speaker and great from the stage, you might not actually want to listen to for four, five, six, seven, eight hours in an audiobook. So we have to determine those things as well. And that's where we end up with hybrid versions, or as I like to call them, a Tony Robbins sandwich, because he did all of his <laughs> audiobooks that way, uh, where he narrated the beginning and he narrated the end and a professional did the middle. Uh, so we do a fair number of, of those types of projects as well. So those are some of the questions we ask. We also talk with people about their physical stamina. Can they either stand or sit and maintain a certain level of energy for about 90 minutes to two hours? Do they have any conditions that would um, keep them from being able to read and speak at the same time? And sometimes we have to make accommodations for folks with uh, vision issues or dyslexia or um, things have come up around things like ADHD or other just kind of... Um, or surgeries. Surgeries is another one, uh, folks who are neurodivergent in some way. So, you know, wherever we can make accommodations, we make accommodations and um, sometimes we are able to do that completely with author narration and sometimes we end up with a, a hybrid version and uh, we go from there. But we, I think we've had a couple of times, Paul, where we've gotten someone in studio, I put that in quotes, because usually our folks were setting them up somewhere in their home or office. And they go through the first session and they're like, you know what, I hate this. I want to switch to professional narration and we'll do that too. <laughs> or sometimes we so, have to talk to them about that and have that difficult conversation. Exactly. I talked about it on the show a couple of months ago because he actually said this in his recording about the experience with Merrill Hodge, the, the retired NFL running back. Right. Uh, I had to have that conversation with him that I don't think he could have gotten through the book because of uh, some some learning issues he had. Not actually because of the concussions, which is the whole thrust of his book, but all the way back from, from birth, he had uh, a learning disability and couldn't read for a couple of hours at a time. So he actually says That's that right. in the book that he appreciated us having that conversation with him and then hiring um, T.L. Hall, who did a fantastic job with the rest of his book. And then oh, Merrill the doing that, that, yeah. that Tony Robbins sandwich, as you described it. And That's right. Uh, it's got a five-star review already. And it's only been out for about a week. Well, that's awesome. I, I love this idea. Do you guys have a checklist for this somewhere? I feel like so many people could benefit because they're not asking these questions and they're not really thinking about all of the the effort and potential exhaustion or stamina required to do some of these projects. That's very true. But, John, that's why we just produced 95 audiobooks this year. Exactly. Or they could just send them to you. I mean, right. So, so let's talk about that, though. So once once an author 
has this, they've answered those questions truthfully, hopefully, and they've decided that they are going to narrate a book for you. Can you describe that side of the business? I can. And, and actually, Paul could describe it even better than I can because I have the great benefit of being the CEO of the company of hiring people who are better at producing audio than I am. <laughs> and it that that's the that's a God's honest truth. I came into this business as a rising voice actor. I was business coach at the time. I have a background in vocal and theater and all of that. And I was taking um, audiobook narration master classes with Pat Fraley and uh, Tony Silveri, who was my agent at the time. And I had this epiphany in this audiobook class. Bob Sauer was in the class with me. Those of you know who Bob is, fantastic guy. And you know, we were having this conversation about audiobooks and the industry of audiobooks. And I went, oh, my God, all my clients and colleagues are producing books, but they're not producing audiobooks. What the hell is going on? And it was I went down this rabbit hole, but I wasn't for a minute going to say that I was an audio engineer. So that's how I ended up creating this partnership with Paul and with our other directors and audio engineers that we work with to to create that. So what I bring to the table is an understanding of human behavior, of psychology. I'm a therapist by training and you know, certainly love just anything involving a microphone I'm deeply in favor of. That's just how I'm wired. But it is the combination of the empathy and the types of questions that we ask, like the ones we were sharing a little while ago, and the space that we create for those authors on an emotional level, as well as our expertise in the technical and these are the buttons you need to press and these are the things you need to say that creates that magic that we're able to have inside of our company so that our authors feel truly taken care of and they're able to give a performance that is you know, as professional and as emotional and as just relatable as possible. So that's kind of that, I hate the term secret sauce, but that's what's coming <laughs> to mind, right? And that's a secret sauce, you know, but that's really how we approach things. And what makes the biggest difference is that combination of technical expertise and deep empathy and compassion. I love it. I mean, honestly, it's it really fills a need because I am I, I work with a lot of like casters and, and people who've been in or in the industry for decades, and we constantly return to this idea that like we ask actors or narrators to do too much. We ask them to do everything, and the work itself suffers because it loses that creative collaborative element. And and you guys provide it. Exactly. That yeah, you said it better than I could have, Sean. That's for sure. And we don't need to go in the nuts and bolts. Lord knows I've done that enough on this show. But um, I did want to get your perspective on on how you see that side of the business, how it's how it came to be, and then where do you think it's going. I do want to mention that you mentioned Bob Sauer, and we're recording this four days after, uh, unfortunately, the death of Karen Sauer, Bob's daughter. So prayers That's and thoughts to sad. Bob and the family. Very sad, of course. And we're all uh, we're all thinking of you. Yeah, she was an incredible resource and just a great person. So she was a rest lovely, peace, lovely person. So moving on to, to happier items, I want to know if you think authors should narrate their own books, or should every author narrate their own books? I should say, or should oh, they be able no. to? <laughs> <laughs> Cut print. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said before, some people's voices aren't suited for it. Um, even if they're a speaker on the stage, they might not necessarily be great. Some people are so engaging uh, when they're in short form audio. You know, it's it's like saying, should every voice actor do commercial or animation and do audiobooks? 
they're as different as night and day. And, you know, like one of the reasons that I ended up in this space in audiobooks was I realized through the master classes I was taking in audiobook narration that I wasn't suited for audiobook narration. <laughs> and there's no way that I was going to do the type of in-depth work, particularly with fiction, multiple characters and the consistency and have, having to hold all of that in your mind. There was no way that I was going to do that. But you can put me in front of like medical narration with those big words all day long, because that's, I'm like, yeah, let me conquer that. That's a beautiful <laughs> thing. I haven't done it in a long time, but it, you know, it's, it's very different in all these ways that leaders and speakers and consultants and coaches, you know, they're, they have their own expertise. They're not professional narrators. So we have to make sure that their voice is going to be pleasant for the audience, that they have the stamina, that they have the desire to do it. And that there is some enjoyment in the process for them because who wants to listen to Bueller, Bueller, I'm reading my book off the page. Mm -hmm. This is the words I'm saying. Are you listening to me? Like we, you know, nobody needs that in their life. Yeah. And I have to say, I think we do a pretty good job of telling people honestly, whether they should or should not progress with doing their own book. And I think the, the work speaks for itself. We have some great projects out there. They're all great projects, the ones that we produce, because we do it that way. We, we don't pull punches and we make sure every project fits the author and we coach them all along the way to make sure it, it's a great product. Paul is getting a raise. <laughs> all that shameless self-promotion. But, <laughs> but honestly, though, I love how transparent you guys are with the narrators, with your, I mean, Tina, with your own ability and just like, well, I'm not cut out for this, but there are other avenues for me like this business. So let's talk about that. Once you've eliminated a, an author from narrating a work, what, let's describe the working with the professional narrator side. Yeah, we like to be a bridge between the author and the narrator because we can speak both languages. And that's one of the reasons why I think narrators like working with us and our authors, of course, like working with us is because we can make sure that the things that get asked and the types of communication that are flowing make sense and they are respectful and they're within scope. And it, it, I think it takes a lot of pressure off of the narrator so they can focus on their performance and they have what they need rather than having to go back to the author 10 times to, well, do you want me to say aunt or aunt, root <laughs> or route, you know, as like that kind of stuff. We get those types of pronunciation guides up front. We get preferences and regionalisms up front. And we set really, you know, from what we've the feedback we've gotten from our narrators, you know, clear boundaries and scope so that their time is well spent. So all of those things are really important to us in working with our narrators. And in terms of the audition process, we tend to get in general for an average book, you know, well over a hundred auditions per book. And, you know, we go through those and vet them, you know, for sound, for a good match for the author. We're looking for a good energy match. And I don't mean high energy, I mean between the author and the narrator? Are there some key characteristics where there's, it feels like if they were in a room together that they'd be on the same page energetically? And um, does it sound like the narrator can own the work? You know, if they're reading a book about business or self-help or a memoir, does it feel like they're reading it or does it feel kind of like they're in it? So those are some of the things we look for. And, and of course, we're also vetting our narrator's for their uh, professional background. Are they who they say they are? You know, do they have a body of work? You know, we let them know about being really 
clear on things like per finished hour and timelines and expectations and communication guidelines so that all of those things are, are as clear as possible up front. And we're always looking to refine that as well. So that's that's where we work a lot on the professional narration side. And more and more, we're doing books that are, I wouldn't necessarily call them full cast because we're not in fiction, but are multiple voices that we're able to bring into the book. And this year, Paul, let's see, what was that? It was about 27 voices we did for Rob Volpe's oh, Rob book. Volpe, yeah. We actually yeah. did characterizations of the, of the people in the book with some of our staff and some outside narrators. So yeah, that was, that was quite a project. It was fun. I got to be a couple of voices. I was happy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Almost like an audio drama. Very cool. Yeah, I, we like doing that kind of work as well. It's it's certainly more complex, but the authors who can really make use of that kind of a book where it's creative, um, we love to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about some of the great things that that comes from working with our clients. Um, what mm -hmm. are some of the challenges Twin Flames uh, Studios incur with with the clients that they work with? Oh well, let's see if. Uh... I, you can agree with me on these, Paul, but I think probably the biggest challenge we have with our authors is at timelines and managing not not so much the recording sessions, although you might disagree with me there, <laughs> but we get people on the books for recording sessions. And I would say most of the time they're reliable about showing up, but we do run into the odd client who no shows and then wants to reschedule and then is hard to communicate with. And and then we end up having to chase them down. And um, so a lack, occasionally, it's very rare, most of our clients are really, really great, but occasionally there is a what seems to feel like a lack of respect for our time energy that is costing, that adds up to the cost of the audiobook in the background. And we're not necessarily, you know, it's that, that whole golden rule or platinum really, you know, treating people the way you would wanna be treated. None of these folks would wanna be treated in a way that was dismissive or that didn't account for the value of their time. In fact, a lot of these coaches and consultants, if they, if a client no-showed them, that client still would be paying for that session. Yeah. So it's something that I think it's really important, you know, and I'm on the other side of that a lot, being interviewed or hiring people to produce content for us or speaking from stages. It's something I'm really, really cognizant of is how do you treat people? And is that in alignment with, you know, how you want to be treated? There's a lot of horror stories from people I know who produce events about how people are on stage versus how they are off stage. And I'm grateful that 95 point or higher of our clients are congruent between how they are behind the scenes and how they are in front of the camera or sort of in front of the mic, I guess it would be. But occasionally we do run into folks and a lot of it's timelines, getting back things from them on a timely basis, reviewing their files so that we can actually publish the audiobook for them. We just need you to listen <laughs> to the damn thing. So, um, and that's not a surprise. We're not springing that on them. We, you know, we, you know, it's coming. So put it in your calendar. And, We're happy you're um, enjoying the project, but we'd like to complete it at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really nice... We should have you do a little uh, PSA there, Sean. Oh, nice. I think part Your of it book is... is very internet. important to yeah. us. So important, <laughs> we'd like to finish it. Uh, <laughs> so I think part of that, Tina, if I could just interject for a second, Sean, I think part of that mm -hmm. is the, the intimacy of the medium. So since we're working with up-close audio, the, the audiobook medium is basically, we describe it as talking to someone's ear. And a podcast is not too different. So... And then because we're recording with most of our clients in their homes or offices, we see all the warts. So 
when I'm sitting with someone for 14 hours to record a seven-hour book, I'm going to hear their dog fart in the background. <laughs> I'm yes, going to hear are. their baby screaming. I'm going to hear the trash truck as it rolls by. So none of that stuff can be hidden. And I think that brings down people's comfort. It makes people more comfortable and brings down their guard. So they are more themselves when they're working with us. That is true. And I think that's why we, by and large, don't have any issues with our our clients. And really, it's just people being busy. And they're not intentionally, you know, trying to cause any issues and all of that. But it is making sure that you find the time to review the work so we can, you know, get get your voice out to the world. That's the point. Nice. Well, speaking of time, uh, like you said, it's very important to be cognizant of the time it takes to do a project. What about the best time to launch an audiobook? couple of different scenarios that really work well. One, and it depends actually on budget. If you've got a really big budget and you're going after Wall Street Journal or uh, USA Today bestseller status if with your book and you, know, you haven't launched the other versions of your book, then you've got a lot of PR that you're doing, interviews, and you're working with a team. Then we might want to take a look at getting your audio book done sooner rather than later so that you're catching the audio as part of that wave of marketing and PR that's going out. However, if you have a smaller budget, you're doing it more yourself or with an assistant or virtual assistant, or you've got a smaller team, then using your audio book as an additional opportunity for, to extend the life of your launch is generally what we recommend. So usually you'll see the ebook and then the hardcover and then the paperback or some variety of that order and then the audiobook. And so there's generally good reasons for that because it allows you to remarket the same material to the same audience but in different formats. So with our authors, a lot of times we will recommend that their audiobook releases anywhere from three to six months after their initial book launch so that they can take advantage of that, you know, kind of second wave of marketing. And then there's additional strategies in the way you distribute an audiobook that you can use as well. Our entire orientation around using podcasts and using audiobook is to build a platform, to build thought leadership, to build audience. And so in order to do that, it's not just about the fact of having an audiobook or the fact of having a podcast. It's all the materials for content marketing that get generated from those assets and then distributed over time to a very focused audience. And that's the strategic part of how we think about our work with our authors. So we talked about the audiobook business or side of the business. Let's talk a little bit about the podcasting side, which is something I was involved with early on with the company. But because we grew so exponentially, I haven't really touched in over two years. Tell us about the podcasting side of Twin Flame Studios. I am deeply enamored of podcasting. I think my first podcast interview was back in 2013 or 2014 before, you know, before John Lee Dumas and Entrepreneur on Fire and before True Crime kind of took over the airwaves. And so the way that we approach podcasting, again, is this idea that we are building thought leaders worth listening to, that we're creating messages that are low-hanging fruit for people to learn who you are, learn what you're about, and that create a lot of really high-quality content that you can use over time and repurpose in different ways. So when we're looking at the audio content of a podcast we're also looking at the strategic goals of the person 
who is creating that podcast or the company creating that podcast? And how can we use a podcast to meet those goals of the company? Whether that is to strengthen the internal culture of a company, if if it is to meet content marketing goals, if it's to improve the influence and standing of that individual team or company in their industry. Those are the places we tend to work with our podcasts and how we think about creating those podcasts. And we love to work with our authors who then want to use the themes in their book to start to create a podcast because it's, it's again, it's low-hanging fruit. It's something that they easily can start to convert from the book format into a podcast that even in a short form podcast or a limited series podcast, it doesn't go have to go on forever, provides such high quality resources for them to use over time to build that audience and to build that know, like, and trust factor that we all need when we're looking at being known as an expert in a field. Awesome. Wonderful. So, Tina, if any of our listeners are authors or influencers or thought leaders and feeling that pull to start their own show, what would you recommend they do first? The very first thing is to look at what are your goals for the next year, particularly in the realm of marketing. And podcasting really fits well into content marketing, relationship marketing, and influence marketing, all of which are highly related to each other. So I, I am I am very much against most of the time using a podcast as a direct route to generate sales and basically using it as a commercial or something that is very advertorial. I don't love the podcasts that are very blatant, that if you are a guest on the show, you are being targeted basically by that host as a potential client. To me, that feels like a bait and switch and kind of predatory. However, it is a really great asset to be able to invite colleagues or people you want to be your colleagues or other influential people in your industry to begin to start a relationship with them, an authentic, actual, genuine relationship. So, and, and it opens a lot of doors for folks. And one of our shows um, that we started and it got so popular, they ended up taking it into their in-house. They actually hired people in-house to handle the podcast because it got big enough to do that. It was a show called Unique CPA, which is still in production. And they started the podcast for the express idea to become better known in their industry. And they're a very niche tax specialty company. And the podcast worked. It generated content marketing for them that showcased their humanity and opened doors for them to have conversations with people they really wanted to have. And uh, the host ended up being called out in the top 100 in public accounting, which is a big deal in public accounting, uh, specifically for the show. And uh, it opened a lot of doors for them as speakers and as um as experts in their field. So those types of shows are very gratifying for us to to showcase. You know, we've we've had people organically get called out in the Wall Street Journal specifically for their podcast content. And these are very, very niche topics in finance or insurance or legal um, and other and other places, in addition to the folks that we work with on the side of podcasting around leadership or LGBTQ plus um, advocacy issues, uh, and so on and so forth. It's just it's just a really great medium to be authentic, to create intimacy, and again to 
to connect with other people in your industry so that you can create a stronger set of relationships with folks. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the Unique CPA is a great example. It's, it's a show I started producing when they first came on. It sounds like you don't want to mention a client's name, but I can tell you that he spent more time or as much time talking about his love of craft beer than he did about, about tax accounting. And I think that really helped to, like you said, create intimacy with, with his clients. Absolutely. No, we could mention Randy. Randy's, Randy's fabulous. Actually, um, the show that we're, uh, we're launching a flagship show for Twin Flames next year called Drink from the Well. And one of the episodes is two of our a podcasting clients, um, Randy Crabtree and Charles Bowinski, and how they were using some of their stories to illustrate how important having hobbies and deep leisure activities, um, what are called serious leisure activities, are really important for leadership. So uh, they were really fun to pr- produce that episode with. And he he did. He was a craft beer enthusiast who became a craft beer um, owner part owner of a place called the Beer Temple, which I just love. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's a partner in the specialty tax company. It's very cool. Man, this is so cool. I love I love the insight and just kind of pulling back the curtain on thinking about podcasting and audiobook production in a very different way. It, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, Tadina. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure for me as well. Thank you guys. It's been and that's what I say I've done this on the show again because I just talk about myself all the time. But uh, you were pretty much instrumental in allowing me to become a full-time voice person, I call myself now. So when we met all those years ago, I was still working a 9-to-5 job that I was desperately trying to get out of and trying to figure out that last piece of the puzzle to allow me to have enough flexibility to take the voice production full-time. And you allowed me to do that, you and Twin Flame Studio. So I'll be eternally grateful for that. You know, we're eternally grateful for you, Paul. I'd I'd hire you again in a minute, and we definitely value every day that we have you with us on our team. I appreciate that. So before you go, how can people work with Twin Flame Studios, if I haven't mentioned it enough? How can people get in touch with you <laughs> if they want to either be on the roster or hire you to do a podcast? Absolutely. Uh, no, it, it, you can go to twinflamesstudios.com. We have all the S's. So tw- flames is plural and studios is plural. And just go to the contact page there. If you Google my name, Tina Dietz, I do show up first in the Google search. Ahem. And, you know, those those are ways that you can, you know, reach out to us and see if your project or your interest is a good fit. And we're also happy, 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 happy to answer any questions you have about podcasting or audiobooks. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Tina. That's Tina Dietz. That's D-I-E-T-Z. And if you excuse me, I'm going to go find a Tony Robbins sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Studio Bricks designs and creates the highest performing portable sound isolation booths. Their professionally perfected acoustics enhances your performance and takes your recording to their maximum quality from your home studio. Forget about managing noise conflicts with your neighbors and family. Pursue your passion for voiceover on your own time and on your own terms. In these modern times, every business needs a website. When you need a website for your voice acting business, there's only one place to go. Like the name says, voiceactorwebsites.com. Their experience in this niche webmaster market gives them the ability to quickly and easily get you from concept to live online in a much shorter time. When you contact voiceactorwebsites.com, their team of experts and designers really get to know you and what your needs are. They work with you to highlight what you do, 
Then they create an easily navigable website for your potential clients to get the big picture of who you are and how your voice is the one for them. Plus, voiceactorwebsites.com has other great resources like their practice script library and other resources to help your voiceover career flourish. Don't try it yourself. Go with the pros. Voiceactorwebsites.com, where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what. Man, that was great. Like I said, I was really looking forward to meeting Tina, and like she did not disappoint. She was an absolute delight. Yeah, Tina's great to work for, or I guess more accurately with. I'm an independent contractor. I'm still fiercely independent, and what's great about Tina is she doesn't care. She, she, she allows me to operate that way, and it's fine. And like I said during the interview, I'm eternally grateful to Tina because that was the final piece of my puzzle for going full-time voiceover person, like I mentioned. Uh, that's my new phrase I, I used when I did the presentation at eVocation and then at Vocation because while I do still do a lot of voicing, I do so many other things that I'm really just a jack-of-all-trades in the voiceover world. So a Tina allowed me to... A voiceover person, maybe? Yeah. So Tina allowed me to work with Twin Flame Studios is what allowed me to quit my job and go full-time, and uh, I never looked back. So thank you, Tina. That's awesome. Yeah, we had we had a whole episode talking about that mindset of, like, acting roles are finite. So it's it helps to have those um, those associated jobs on the periphery, right? So that you can still be involved with the thing you love, even or when when those finite roles are not available. So that wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. We just wanted to say thank you to all of our listeners for continuing to support the podcast. We just wanted to wish you a very merry, happy holiday season, whatever you celebrate. Even if you don't celebrate, we hope you have a great, strong end to your 2022. Happy holidays to all of you and yours. Happy New Year. And please help push us to those 100 episodes and 10,000 downloads. We would be eternally grateful as we head to the new year. Thanks for listening to this episode of the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com. We'd also love to hear your comments or suggestions for the show. Or if you have a questionable gear purchase, tell us all about it on our Facebook page or on Twitter at the VO Meter. 